So I'm starting this morning by reading a few verses from Hebrews chapter 4. This is Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So this morning, we're beginning this short two-week sermon series. It's on the book of Hebrews. And before we even begin to kind of dive into what I just read, I want to point something out that the author of Hebrews writes shortly after the words that I just read. Okay, this is from chapter 5, verse 10. And he says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain. So if you've been following along with our daily journey through the New Testament readings that we've been doing ever since the first of the year, you may have found as you encountered Hebrews 1 starting this past Monday, that the book of Hebrews is not the easiest read of everything we've done up until this time. It really isn't. And the writer himself even says in what I just read there, he acknowledges that what he's trying to get across in this book is hard to explain. So he spends 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews trying to explain what he wants and thinks Christians need to understand about Jesus. And I get two 20, 25 minute sermons to try to do the same thing. All right. So I'm not sure, but I would almost think Pastor David might have had an ulterior motive in taking these two weeks to do the Ghana trip. All right. Greg. I'm going to Ghana. Why don't you take the two weeks on the book that the writer says is hard to explain? The one book. Sure, boss. You got it. Glad to do that. But you know what? I actually, I actually am. I actually am kind of glad to be doing these sermons on Hebrews because it gives me a chance to talk about something that I think is really important, something that comes up frequently in Bible studies that I've taught. And that is this. The question is, does the Old Testament really matter? Does the Old Testament really matter? Right? I mean, we're Christians. We follow Jesus Christ. Jesus is in the New Testament, separate from all these things in the Old Testament. So does it even matter? And every time, just about every time, I've taught this Disciple One curriculum, which is this year-long 34-week study of the entire Bible. We spend 17 weeks in the Old Testament, and then 17 weeks in the New Testament. I've taught this many, many times, and almost every time, at some point towards the middle, towards the end of the Old Testament half of the class, someone says, either I overhear it or directly to me, I can't wait till we can get to the New Testament and start talking about Jesus, right? So we have this kind of sense that somehow the Old Testament isn't as important as the new. But now, now in this year-long journey through the New Testament, now we've reached the book of Hebrews. And one of the central ideas at its core of the book of Hebrews is the fact that you can't really understand Jesus. You can't fully comprehend everything about who Jesus is, his significance of Jesus, without 
embracing the Jewish scriptures, without understanding what we call as Christians the Old Testament. We really need to understand the origins, the history of the Jewish faith that was practiced by the Jews in Jesus' day because this is also the faith that was practiced by Jesus himself. In fact, I'm pretty sure the writer of Hebrews probably wouldn't even really like, he probably wouldn't approve of the way we now today kind of have divided our Bible into two parts, part before Jesus and the part after Jesus, because one of the main points of Hebrews is that Christianity stands in absolute direct continuity with everything that has come before it, with the Judaism that came before it. Christianity is in direct continuity. And to put this kind of break in the middle of the story is to imply something the writer of Hebrews says just isn't true. It would imply that somehow what's happened before and maybe even during Jesus' life is somehow out of sync with the church and with everything that comes after. And the writer of Hebrews would insist that that simply is not the case. And because of that, though, the writer kind of assumes that the reader of this letter of the sermon is already kind of intimately familiar with all of the characters in the Old Testament story, with the religious practices of Judaism that the Old Testament prescribes for its worshipers, and with all of the laws that the Old Testament puts forth. And furthermore, I think that the writer assumed that the reader of his letter accepted the Jewish scriptures as divinely inspired and that therefore they held an authority over their lives. They really did guide their life and their practice. And this is actually what made this book, made this sermon so hard for the original readers of Hebrews to really understand what the writer is proclaiming. Because they understood the Old Testament thoroughly. They really understood all the philosophy of it, its meaning, its authority. And the writer of Hebrews now has to try to explain to them that this system that's been in place for thousands of years, these religious practices, these beliefs that they and their ancestors have followed forever, all these laws that have governed their lives for as long as anybody can remember, the writer of Hebrews has to get across the idea that these things were not God's ultimate plan for humanity. Even though, even though they're prescribed by God, they're designed by God, God commands them to obey them, they're not the end all and be all. And the way the author describes this way he understands this change is in these words. This is chapter 10, verse 1. He says, the law. Now, the law here means the entire Old Testament way of doing religion. He says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Okay, so for the writer of Hebrews, everything about Christianity, everything about Christianity is the perfect spiritual reality of truths that the Old Testament taught, but that the Old Testament system was only an imperfect physical shadow or copy of. The faith of the Old Testament points, the writer insists, in the right direction. All the meaning, all the significant concepts are there. Okay, but it's like the difference between a blueprint and a real F-18. Okay, and a lot of you know I used to be an aerodynamics engineer. I've been doing this 13 years. I finally get to put an airplane picture up there, all right? All right. Found a way to work it in, all right. 
So from the gist, from the blueprints, right, you get a gist of it. Everything you need to really understand it is there, but it's a far cry from the reality of that airplane flying through the air, okay? And that's the kind of the comparison that the writer of Hebrews is making between the new reality under Christ and the Old Testament system. And as hard as it was to explain this to these first century Jews, these first century readers of Hebrews, I think it's even harder to explain today, okay? Because we aren't even starting from the same point, right? We're not immersed in an Old Testament understanding of a way of life and an Old Testament understanding of how the world works. And yet Hebrews claims that before we can really grasp the full significance of this ultimate reality, this full significance of who Jesus really is and what Jesus means for us, you would say, well, we need to at least have some understanding of the shadow projection. We need to understand the blueprints to some extent if we're really gonna understand Jesus. And that's the faith and practice that we see in the Old Testament. And at the very core of this Old Testament practice, this Old Testament foundation is this concept of the priesthood, the priesthood. Now, because of its unique approach, what's interesting is the book of Hebrews is the only, it's the only New Testament book that teaches us that Jesus is the Christian's high priest. Now that may be language that's familiar to you, but the book of Hebrews is the only place that we see that presented in scripture. But that concept of a, high, of a high priest, I mean, that is so foreign to us. It's fair to us to ask, you know, what does that even really mean? What does it mean to say he's a high priest? Well, I think what we have to understand first is that in the Old Testament, an entire order of priesthood, an entire order of priesthood is established by God. It's laid out with very specific responsibilities, very specific qualifications prescribed by the law for who could and who could not serve as a priest who could attain that rank, how they're expected to behave and carry out that office once they have been. But the writer of Hebrews says that even though all this is prescribed in the Old Testament, God says, do it this way. Even so, those requirements are simply an imperfect shadow of a perfect priest who was gonna come later and makes the claim, of course, that that perfect priest is Jesus. So Hebrews makes the claim that the identity of Jesus as this perfect ultimate reality of what the Old Testament priesthood only symbolized is a concept that is foundational and critical for every follower of Christ to really understand. But that said, I mean, I can imagine that, that there might be people right here in this room thinking, well, why? I mean, why is this such an important concept, right? I mean, how is this whole discussion of Old Testament priests and imperfect shadows pointing to perfect realities, how can any of this be relevant to my everyday life? I mean, how can this ancient religious system that hasn't even been practiced for 2,000 years, how can that possibly impact me personally? I think that's a fair question. And what, what am I supposed to do with this, you might be wondering. Well, I have two answers to that, two answers. And the first one is this, okay? So, your pastors, me, Pastor Dave, Pastor Brenda with your children, right? Part of our job is to help you grow in your Christian life. And part of that growth includes, I think, coming to a clearer and clearer and fuller understanding of who exactly Jesus is, but also of who we are 
in relationship with Jesus. And this book of Hebrews is the only place, it's the only place that it talks about this concept of Jesus as a high priest. So this is our opportunity to expand our understanding of who Jesus is with this role of Jesus as our priest. And then the second thing that I think is important for us to understand going into this is whether you realize it or not, you need a priest. You need a priest. I need a priest. Every single one of us needs a priest, whether we realize it or not. And Hebrews says that Jesus Christ, and only Jesus Christ, fulfills all the qualifications for the kind of high priest that all of us need. And my experience is that when we come to realize these two things, when we come to realize, one, that we need a priest, and two, that Jesus meets that need, it has some immensely practical benefits in our lives. And the main benefit is this, it humbles our pride. It humbles our pride. Our pride, which is the root of all of our sin, it's the root of all our broken relationships, all our hatred, all our envy, all of our arrogance. Our pride cannot help but be humbled when we come to realize that we are in desperate need of a priest and that by God's grace, we have a perfect one in Jesus. But that just begs the question, well, why? Why do we need a priest? And the most basic answer to that question is this. God is holy and we just aren't. God is holy and we're not. And that results in a separation. It results in a separation between us and God because unholy human beings simply can't enter into the holy presence of God alone. We can't do it. And yet this God draws us to himself. God says, I want to be in your presence, but your sin, your sin separates us. What can I do about that? So God created a system in the Old Testament to make it possible, to make it possible to overcome this sin barrier that separates us from God. And Hebrews 5.1 puts it this way. It says, every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. See, if human beings never sinned, if human beings never sinned, they wouldn't need a priest. Okay, we could just enter directly into God's holy presence. See, but the Jews in the Old Testament times understood that because of their sin and God's holiness, they needed a mediator between themselves and God and a priest served that role. A priest served as a mediator. In fact, the whole Old Testament system of priests and sacrifices was meant to provide a resolution to this fundamental problem of sin. Without the appropriate sacrifices, human beings couldn't be approaching God and they certainly couldn't be reconciled with God. So a priest, a priest was just a person who was called by God God called them to this role to mediate that presence of God through the accepting of, and the offering of sacrifices. So what the Old Testament priesthood and sacrificial system taught people very clearly, I think, is that you can't be reconciled to God. You can't come to know God until you first know yourself. Until you first know yourself. To be reconciled with God, we must first 
see for ourselves how our sin makes us unable to enter into the holy presence of God on our own, and that we need a mediator who can stand between us and God. Now, in the Old Testament system, right, in the Old Testament system, God expected that this mediator, this priest, would be someone who was completely self-aware, completely self-aware, who truly understood themselves as a sinner and understood the problem that sin presented. They needed to be aware of their own weaknesses. They needed to be aware of temptation, the reality of temptation. And that meant they needed to be willing to make sacrifice for their own sin first. So Hebrews 5 says this, he's able, he, the priest, is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God. So a good priest, right? A good priest wouldn't sugarcoat the reality of sin, but they would be compassionate with sinners because of this profound awareness of their own sin. Well, the central point, though, of this teaching in Hebrews is this entire system, this entire system of priests mediating the sacrifices of sinners, all of this was temporary. All of this was a temporary arrangement to teach these fundamental lessons about who we are and who God is and our need for a mediator. The Old Testament is meant to teach those lessons until the coming of Jesus Christ. And then, like all priests, Jesus didn't take this honor upon himself. Jesus was appointed to this role by God. Hebrews 5 goes on to say, so Christ also did not take this, upon, this glory upon himself of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now I'll say more about that in a second. But also, also like all priests, Jesus was personally familiar with temptation. Now, sometimes I think we struggle as Christians with this thought when we think of Jesus as the divine son of God. But the temptations that Jesus faced, not only in the desert with Satan, but throughout his entire ministry and culminating especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, those temptations are extraordinarily real. They are very real temptations. They had to be in order for Jesus to be able to perfectly fill the role of a high priest. The scripture reading this morning said, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus, Jesus clearly fills two of these primary requirements of a priesthood. He's called by God, and he personally understands the problem of human temptation to sin. He was 100% human and understands that temptation. But there's still this major stumbling block that these original readers of Hebrews would have had if they're gonna accept this idea that Jesus can fill this role of the perfect high priest. Because one of the, the, the eligibility requirements for being a priest was that you had to be a descendant of Aaron. You had to be in the line an ancestral line from Aaron through the tribe of Levi, through the people who were called the Levites. You had to be in that line of descent. And it was widely known that Jesus wasn't 
from the line of Levi. Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. But the writer of Hebrews makes this point. The call of God to be a priest supersedes any ancestral requirement that was laid down in the Old Testament. In fact, way before the priesthood had even been established, way before that had ever happened in the book of Genesis, God had actually called a man by the name of Melchizedek to be a priest, to mediate God's presence with Abraham way before there was even an Old Testament system. So the call of God supersedes this ancestral requirement. And unlike the Levitical priest, Hebrew says God's actually sworn Jesus in with an oath to be high priest. Sworn him in. God's oath makes Jesus high priest. So Hebrews 7 says this, Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. Because Jesus can be our perfect high priest, because Jesus is 100% human and 100% divine, which means Jesus can stand in the gap, mediate for us perfectly, because he is 100% human, he understands our sin. He can be compassionate of our sin. He knows what that's like. But as the sinless son of God, Jesus can enter into the presence of God unhindered without offering sacrifice for himself. So he and he alone can perfectly fill the gap between us and God. He fills all the requirements of a high priest. But unlike those Old Testament priests who could only do it imperfectly, he's perfect. He accepted the role humbly when God called him, he didn't pridefully grasp after it. He understands our temptation to sin perfectly. He really does. But he can stand in the presence of God and plead our case directly. So what do we take away from this, right? So we want to take away from a sermon. What do we do with this? Well, my hope, I guess, in preaching this sermon would be that maybe we would come to realize, maybe we would really come to grips with the fact that every single one of us needs a priest. If you didn't think about that before, we all need a priest because God is infinitely holy and we're not. There's no one here in this room save Jesus who I think is here with us. There's none of us in this room here today who is capable of approaching God on our own. God wants us in God's presence, but someone needs to mediate that presence. Under the first covenant, under the Old Testament system, God named and appointed priests to serve that role, but they couldn't do it perfectly. They couldn't do it perfectly because they too were sinners. So the huge takeaway from Hebrews 1 to 5 is the fact that the example of these people in the Old Testament reveals to us still today the reality of our human condition in relationship to God. 
Still today, God is holy and we are not. But the gospel, the gospel declares that in God's grace, God became a real 100% human being named Jesus who accepted the role of high priest and filled it perfectly. Just like the people before Jesus came, we still need a priest every day. We forget that. But we need a priest every day because every day, just like them, we fall short of the plans that God has for us. But God has given us a perfect high priest to mediate our sin named Jesus Christ. And if you can really grasp hold of these truths about who we really are, about who Jesus really is, if you can really internalize, internalize that and really believe that, it will obliterate. It'll just wipe out that human pride. When you know yourself and when you know what Jesus is doing for you, literally right now, right now in the presence of God, mediating your ability to come before God, when you really grasp that, you'll find yourself truly transformed. And that is what I would pray you'll take away from today's sermon. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.